0: Thank you, Zach. Please stand up as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We'll all be reading verses 1 through 16. If you don't have a a Bible, we have a Bible in your pew you can open up. And again, we'll be reading Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16. Pastor Bruce's message is entitled, God's Got Questions. And God's question today... In this message, subject is, what have you done? So follow along again as I read Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, "'Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? "'If you do well, will you not be accepted? "'And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, "'and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it.'" Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord shall set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Please bow your heads and prayer, with me, please, this morning. Father God, you are all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You are the creator. You are the one true God. Father, your love for us is so great. We come before you today studying questions that you have for us. Father, help us to hear in this sanctuary these questions, knowing that your questions are right for us. Help each one of us to truly understand how to answer through the blood of Jesus Christ, of whom our only hope is restored to you through your son, Jesus. Be with Pastor Bruce in this message, Father, and may we truly hear from you in a very powerful way. In your name we thank you. Amen.
1: All right. Thanks, Randy, for leading us in our scripture reading. Appreciate that. And uh, as you know, we are in this series called God's Got Questions. How will we answer, though? That is the other question. So, God's Got Some Questions. We started this series last Sunday, and we want to continue it now this morning. And in this series, we're basically looking at six questions. That God asks us as His creation in the Old Testament, and how we answer these questions will in a large way determine the way you live and how you see your destiny. In fact, we began and we learned last Sunday that God's questions, they often seem pointed and personal, which they are, but these questions that God asks us, they are really for our benefit. They're not so much for His benefit, but for your benefit, in the sense that these questions are meant to be reflective. They're meant to challenge what we really believe about ourselves and about God. They're meant to confront us about our behavior in life. And so these questions that God asks are for our benefit. We can learn a lot from these questions that God asks, like Adam and Eve, which we looked at last Sunday, the very first question he asked in the Bible, in the story of Adam and Eve, when they sinned. And then, of course, after they sinned, they were ashamed, they tried to hide from God, and God comes to them graciously, lovingly, and mercifully, and he asked them, where are you? It was a question to draw them out. It was a question meant to, for them to see their sin, and to repent, and to come back to him. So it was a gracious question, a loving question. It was for their benefit, just as it is still for our benefit today. Now this morning we're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. This story is so well known that most people who've never read the Bible in their entire life and who've never maybe even gone to church their entire life know that Cain killed Abel. Most people know that. This story has even entered our language as a synonym for troublemaking. When we say a person is... Raising Cain, alright, see, you wonder where that came from, right here. That phrase is appropriate, Raising Cain, because this story here is all about drifting away from God toward destruction. Raising Cain, oh, that is what we do in our lives, and so many times we don't even realize it. How many of you uh, like dreaming when you go to sleep at night? Anybody like to have dreams? Anybody? Oh, okay, we got a few people that are dreamers. You know, you're a dreamer, you like to have dreams when you sleep. Uh, you know, I, I think it's been told, you know, if you're dreaming, that means you're in sound sleep, you're, you know. And, uh, but when you're dreaming, how many of you found yourself, while you're sleeping and dreaming, that you're falling off a cliff or a tall building or bridge, and you're just falling and falling and falling, right? Anybody ever have that dream? All right, here's the next question. How many of you ever hit bottom in your dream? Anybody ever hit bottom and and you, like, killed yourself? No, nobody does that. Why? Well, folk wisdom tells us that if you have a nightmare of falling and falling and falling, that you will wake up before you hit bottom. But life experience teaches us that many people who are falling into self-destruction never wake up until it's too late. And that's when God's question... Pierces our heart like an arrow when he comes to us and he asks, What have you done? What have you done? It's the question that God asked Cain after he killed his brother Abel. What have you done? Notice this coming up on the screen. Let's just answer that question from the top here in the beginning of this message and answer the question, what Cain did? Well, notice it. What Cain did was drift away from God toward destruction. God asked him, what have you done? Well, what Cain did was drift to his destruction. Now, we need to pause here for a moment before we move on because here's the problem with Preaching about Cain and Abel. Here's the problem with the story of Cain and Abel and teaching on it, preaching on it. Is most of us here right now, we don't see ourselves like Cain. After all, we've never murdered anyone. At least as far as I can tell, nobody here has murdered anybody. So instead, we think we're more like the other brother. We think we're more like Abel in the story. But nothing could be further from the truth. If I were writing a book about Cain and Abel, and specifically about Cain, I would title the book this, The Ruin of a Religious Man. The Ruin of a Religious Man. Understand, Cain was very religious. He was worshipping God with his brother Abel. In fact, if Cain were alive today... He could come to our worship service. He could sing the songs. He could open up his Bible and read the Scriptures. He could listen to the sermon. He could even give his offering. And we would never know it was Cain that was here in our midst. Why? Because on the outside, Cain looked just like us. And yet on the inside, Cain drifted away from God toward his destruction. Think of it. One minute you're worshipping God, and the next minute you're murdering your brother. How quickly the heart can turn from worship to mayhem, especially when you've picked up speed on the downslide away from God. So please understand, from the beginning of this message, and I include myself in this list, there is a little Cain in all of us here this morning, and there's a whole lot of Cain in most of us here today. And what we're going to see is Cain's journey away from God toward his destruction and ruin. But what we're also going to see in this story is God's checkpoints of grace. We will see God's grace running throughout this story that he provided along the way in Cain's life. This story shows us the number of opportunities Cain had to turn back to God. Just as it shows us that we still have the same opportunities. It reminds us of the warning from Hebrews 3, verse 7, where it says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, today you must listen to his voice, don't harden your hearts against him. So the process of drifting away from God toward destruction, it usually happens one step at a time. So let's retrace Cain's steps to ruin, and along the way, let's also see God's checkpoints of grace in his life. So let's look at it. Let's begin with step one of Cain's drifting away toward his destruction. It begins with step one when we live with an unchecked heart. When we live with an unchecked heart. Several several years ago, in fact, you may have seen this in the news, read about it in the papers, uh, California farmers were threatened with a potential disaster in the Mediterranean fruit fly. And it took a rapid, all-out effort to eradicate the fruit fly infestations in California. What's interesting, though, the larvae, the larvae of the fruit flies don't eat their way into the fruit. From, rather, the insect lays the egg in the blossom. And then the fruit grows around it. And sometime later, the worm hatches inside the fruit and then eats its way out. Listen, sin is just like that. It begins in the heart And if unchecked, it works its way out in our attitudes and our actions. And if you let sin go long enough, it results in terrible destruction. We see the terrible effects of unchecked sin when Cain murders his brother Abel. But his tragic murder was even more tragic when you consider the high hopes connected with Cain's birth. Imagine the joy and hope. Adam and Eve must have felt when Cain was born. I mean, they must have felt just like Zach and Sarah here a few weeks ago. Like every mom and dad when their kid is born. And then as they reflected Adam and Eve on God's promise of a deliverer through the seed of the woman, man, their hopes were just sky high in the birth of their son Cain. No wonder Eve says in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Man, she's excited about this. Eve probably thought that this man from the Lord was the promised deliverer. And yet, as we know, Eve had not given birth to a deliverer, but to a murderer. Listen, that is the frightening possibility that every parent faces Since Adam and Eve. We all have high hopes for our children. We want them to grow up and live productive, joyful lives. But since the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, as we saw last Sunday, there is a worm in the fruit. That is, sin resides in the heart of every newborn. And it's only a matter of time until it eats its way out. And so if a child grows up without trusting Christ and learning how to check the power of sin within the heart. Listen, it will result in great ruin in their own life and in the lives of others. Such is the story of Cain. Now, we know nothing about Cain and Abel's growing up years. The Bible doesn't tell us. Other than that Cain followed in his father's footsteps and he became a farmer, a rancher of sheep while his little brother became, I'm sorry, a farmer, while his little brother became a rancher of sheep. So Cain's the farmer, Abel is the shepherd, the rancher. What we do know is that the seeds of sin were already taking root in Cain's unchecked heart when he comes now with his brother Abel to worship God. Notice what it says in verses 3 through 5. We see, and in the process of time it came to pass, that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Literally, his face was downcast. The reactions of anger and self-pity are the first clues into Cain's true spiritual condition. Now, the question becomes, why did God not, or why did God accept Abel and his offering and not Cain and his offering? Well, the Bible passage here doesn't tell us precisely why. Many Bible scholars say that Abel's offering was acceptable over Cain's offering because of the very nature of the offering itself. Abel's offering was accepted because it involved a a blood sacrifice from the best lambs of his flock, whereas Cain just brought some of the grain from his harvest. Now, there's some truth in this. This is very true. In fact, we know this because the Old Testament teaches that God honored both types of offerings in the sacrificial system. He honored both grain offerings and blood sacrifice offerings. Hebrews 11.4, though, also points us to another reason, perhaps why God rejected Cain's offering and accepted Abel's. When it declares, in Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. In other words, what this is telling us is that Cain's offering was not an offering from faith. He presumed to define his, what his offering should be. Now, whatever we may say about the two offerings, the real difference was in the heart. It was in the heart, which brings us to our first checkpoint, or, or Cain's unchecked heart here. Notice the root problem. The root problem with Cain's worship was in his heart. Now let me show you this from the text. Look what it says in Genesis 4, verse 4. Notice that Genesis 4:4 4, 4 says that God respected Abel and his offering, and the order here is critical. First the man, and then the offering. Ditto for Cain. In other words, man looks on the outward and makes his judgments that way. But God looks to the heart first and foremost. And when God looked at Cain's heart, he found arrogance. He found pride, which is why Cain became so angry when God rejected him and his offering and accepted Abel and his offering. So what do we make from this? What do we learn from this little scenario right here? Well, I think one principle we learn is that what matters most to God is the attitude of the person making the offering, not so much the offering itself. This is a point God often made to the children of Israel, such as when the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, 14 through 16, he says, I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. He says, they're a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. In other words, they were trying to worship God without having the right heart. God wouldn't accept it. So what does the Lord require of us? Not the ritual offerings of ceremonies, but the genuine offering of ourselves. God looks at the heart. And God was showing Cain that he was performing his religious acts as a duty rather than as sincere worship. Cain was trying to to get by with fulfilling the, the minimum obligation when God wanted from him the maximum devotion. Cain tried to worship God the way many of us go to church each Sunday. We ask, hey, what's in it for me? Instead of asking, how am I going to honor and worship the living Lord today? How can I serve him? How can I honor him? The giveaway here to Cain's unchecked heart was his anger and his countenance. He couldn't hide it. He couldn't hide the heart. And his anger reveals it. His countenance reveals it. Oh, how Cain could have responded differently. He could have repented before God and humbly said, Lord, what do I need to do to please you? Show me the deceitfulness of my heart and cleanse me from my sin. That's how Cain could have responded. But instead, he was angry and and filled with self-pity. His concern was was not with pleasing God, but it was with pleasing himself. So Cain did not come to God with sincere worship. So what does God do? God comes to him with a warning and with an invitation. Did you notice how often God comes to Cain in the story when Randy read it to us? Do you notice that? God is a gracious God, a loving God, a merciful God. He's constantly seeking us out. Cain only comes to God once to bring his offering, and even then he's just going through the motions when he's doing it. But now God comes to Cain with his checkpoint of grace. Notice it here coming up on the screen. God comes to us with a warning, and invitation, and here's the invitation. It is to be honest. It's an invitation to be honest with ourselves and with God. Look at the questions God asked Cain in verse 6. In Genesis 4, verse 6, God comes to Cain and he asks him, Hey, hey, Cain, Cain, why, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Listen, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And the obvious answer is yes. Again, God's questions, they are pointed and they are personal. God knows the answers, but He's given us the opportunity to be honest with sin and junk in our heart. But what does Cain do? Man, Cain blew past God's warning and he refused his invitation to be honest, which makes me wonder why. I mean, why? Not just Cain, but why do I, why do we, why do so many people so often blow past God's gracious warnings in our life? Why do we refuse His gracious invitations? It requires honesty. It requires honesty. And being honest, let's admit, it's frightening. It's not easy, especially to be honest with myself before God Almighty. We're afraid to face who we really are. We're afraid to do what God is calling us to do in our life. But in the long run, that cowardice is more costly than we may ever imagine. So how do you know you're drifting away from God? You yeah, that's a great question to ask ourselves. How do I know if I'm drifting away from God? Because more times than not, we don't see it first somebody else does. So how do I know if I'm drifting away from God? Well, if you get angry over God's blessing on somebody else's life, that's a pretty good clue you're drifting away from God. That was Cain's clue. But God graciously invites us to be honest and check our hearts before him. The warning is, if we blow past God's checkpoint of grace then like Cain, we take the next step toward our destruction. Look at it, step number two, we disregard God's warning. We disregard God's warning. And when we disregard God's warning, we become more vulnerable to the sin within. Look at the vivid picture God painted for Cain in verse 7. In verse 7, I want to read it out of the NIV translation. It says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This is God speaking to Cain. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So what we see here is another checkpoint of God's grace in Cain's life. And folks, it is a checkpoint of God's grace in our life even today. Look at it coming up on the screen. Here's the checkpoint of grace. God gives us a warning that sin is crouching at the door ready to devour us but he also gives us hope that we can rule over it. Now, what a vivid picture of sin within. God pictures sin here as a vicious beast crouching at the door, ready to devour you. I can't. Every time I read this story and I see this illustration, this picture, I can't help but be taken back to 2005 when our church took a, a, a missions campaign to uh, Tanzania, and at the very end of the campaign, we had the opportunity to go on this safari trip in Tarangire National Park, and it was a, a two-day safari trip, which meant we got to stay night in the middle of the Tarangire National Park amidst the elephant, the monkeys, and the lions, even though we didn't ever see a lion. Oh, man, it was so disappointing, but we knew they were there. And it was beautiful, we had a great time on the safari in the daytime, but what was really cool, in the middle of this national park, we were in this lodging area, and, uh, and they had this big lodge where we ate, and uh, it was really cool, but then when we slept, they were like these, they were tent-like little lodges. They were kind of structures, but they were kind of tents, with just this tent material over the f- frame of it, and you kind of had these flaps in, you had a shower in the back of it, and, uh, and so the next morning... Man, it was so funny, Uh, Chris comes out, we all meet for breakfast, and he's telling us this story, along with Gwen, about his wife Gwen, about their night experience, and how she, well, she had no sleep that night. She's just up, scared to death, that there's a lion, a beast, a vicious beast, outside her tent door, crouching, ready to pounce on her if she came out of her tent. And we're just laughing about this. We're just like, this is so funny. Gwen, you're crazy. You're nuts. But I'm trying to ask her. She's over in kids' church. When she gets out, you ask her about it. She'll tell you. Uh, There was no way Gwen was going to just throw open the tent flap and say, here, kitty, 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 come on in. No way it was going to happen. Listen to me. The lion crouching at Cain's door was his own sin. Listen to what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 14-15. through 15. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And if Cain did not master or rule over this vicious beast within, he would be its next victim. So God gives Cain a warning that sin is crouching at his door, but he also gives Cain hope. Now most people miss the hope here, because we're so focused on the vicious beast crouching within. But it's clearly stated when God says, but you must rule over it, or master it. You see, and, and again the wording here is on purpose. This story follows right on the heels of Adam and Eve. And if you go back to Genesis 2, what did God command Adam and Eve to do with the animals? You got it. Just as God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the animals, so God now is telling Cain that he must have dominion over the beast within, crouching at the door. In other words... This isn't pie in the sky. This is a possibility. This is reality. We can do this. No, not in our power, but in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So many times we think that once we've been tempted, we're just going to fall into sin as if we can't stop the process. But God is giving us hope that we can stop the process, that we can rule over and have dominion over the beast within. So let me ask you, are there signs of sin crouching at the door of your heart? Are there any areas in your life where you know there is a lion out there ready to spring on you? Maybe it's anger like Cain. Anger over somebody hurting you, deeply hurting you. Maybe you've been dealt with unfairly and according to the world, man, you have every right to be bitter and angry and to seek vengeance. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? Listen, it's crouching at the door ready to devour you if you don't deal with it. Maybe discontent is on the prowl. You see family members, you see friends, and they're just, man, they're getting ahead in life, and things aren't going quite right for you. You're somewhat angry at God, you're resentful at others when you see their good fortunes. Listen, sin is crouching at the door. Maybe sexual temptations are stalking you. Sexual desires are gnawing at the door. They're threatening to break in and devour you. Whatever it is, listen to me. The question is, will you heed God's warning here? It's a warning of grace. Or will you allow it to take you one step further away from God to your destruction? So what will Cain do? Will he realize his danger and turn from his anger? Or will the beast within destroy him? Well, the answer is quick and coming as he takes another step toward his destruction, which brings us to step number three in our own steps away from God when we open the door to greater sin. We open the door to greater sin. Now, it is so interesting to note here. When you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, Eve, get this, she had to be talked into her sin by the serpent. But Cain... He could not be talked out of his sin, even by God himself. Such is the power of sin's grip. Notice what happens next now in verse 8. It says, now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And let me just say, by the way, that he wasn't being polite for the sake of being polite. There was motive here. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. What we see in this verse is that Cain opens the door to sin. He embraces the charging beast within and it devours him. It consumes him in such a way that he becomes a beast himself stalking his brother and killing him. The first murder. It must have been a bloody murder. Since Abel's blood is mentioned twice in verses 10 and 11. Did Cain crush Abel's skull with a rock and watch him die like a bug? Or did Cain say to himself, all right, God, if you want a blood sacrifice, I'll give it to you. And then slit his brother's throat with Abel's knife and bleed him like a sacrifice. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is that Cain killed his brother with his own bloody hands. And the question is, why? Because he hated Abel? Yes, but also no. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer rhetorically asked, why does Cain murder Abel? Out of hatred for God, he answers. So sin... Crouching at the door consumed Cain, and then he consumed an innocent person, what the Bible calls a righteous person in Abel. But not because God didn't graciously warn him, and not because God didn't lovingly discipline him. Which brings us to another checkpoint of God's grace. Look at it here in your notes. And that is the discipline of the Lord is a sign of his love. But Cain refused the discipline of the Lord. We have an explanation of this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, where it talks about being disciplined by God. And when God first came to Cain, he disciplined him. He was trying to correct him. And that is, to correction means you're on the wrong path in life, and you're trying to correct them over to the right path in life. It's what parents do with their kids. Correction, you're going the wrong way. And in Cain's case, he was on the path of destruction. He was on the way of Cain to destruction. And God comes to him trying to correct him and show him the error of his ways and lead him to the correct path. That's discipline. But he rejects it. Now, none of us like being disciplined, right? Who does? Anybody here like being disciplined? I don't know of anybody. Whether you're a child, being disciplined by your parents, or as an adult, being disciplined by your boss. We don't like it. And yet, discipline is a sign of love. And so if you're being disciplined by God, man, count it all joy, because one, it tells you two things. I'm a child of God, and I'm also loved by God. Discipline is a sign of love. So parents, how much do you love your kids? Now, don't tell me they don't ever deserve discipline, because we're all born what? Born sinners. And sin, left unchecked in the heart, let me tell you, it will come out, and it does in our kids. So how much do you love your kids? Something to think about. Cain was meant to be disciplined when God gave him that warning, but he refused it. Why? Why? Well, I think Hebrews 12, later on in the same chapter, verses 14 through 15, helps us understand when it says, it says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and by it defiling many. Remember, what was Cain's occupation? His occupation was he was a farmer. But notice this, what he plants, but the plants he tended most grew from the seeds of bitterness in his own heart. Listen, Cain was bitter towards his brother. And he allowed that bitterness in his heart to germinate into anger and resentment toward his brother and then to God. Don't underestimate the power of sin. It is wicked, it is swift, and it destroys. In fact, it is the theme of Genesis chapter 4 here that we're at all the way through Genesis chapter 11 where God shows us in these chapters how fast sin destroys the human race. But God also shows us His grace through all this. He shows us as well the promise That his son will come to conquer the very sin that is destroying humanity. He shows us the grace and the promise of Jesus Christ. That he conquers that sin. And its consequences with his death on the cross and resurrection. The fourth step away from God toward destruction is this. Is when we refuse to repent of our sin. We refuse to repent of our sin. Cain murdered his brother and he buried him in the field. Do you think he he thought he could get away with it? Man, my son Jack, my son Tyler, it is amazing what kids think they can get away with. I I briefly tell this story. (laughs) Jack, God bless that kid. I love him so much, just like I love Tyler. But here's an example of even how us adults think we can get away with sin when we can't. You can't hide sin few weeks ago, I, I had this, I, my change, extra change, you know when you buy a pop or so you have extra change, you go to Taco Bell, you get extra change, I don't spend my extra change, I put it in my ashtray, and then when it piles up, I, I, I put it in a, in a big jar, and then I cash it in for something that I'm saving up for, so anyways, I have this, I have a, a pretty good sized container of quarters, and I noticed it wasn't going this way, it was going that way. I'm like, man, that seems odd. I know I just cashed it in, but I I know I've been putting some more in. I'm like, what is going on with my quarter? And I'm like, what, you know, I just kind of left it alone. And then the the next week, it is amazing how God does this. One of his friends calls on the phone. Jack, your friend's here. Well, I kind of didn't hang up. I kind of listened, and I hear. Jack, don't forget to bring the quarters. (laughs) To school. I'm like, ah, putting the dots together not connecting them. So I go to Jack and I ask him, Jack, you know anything about my quarters? Nah, Dad, nah, nah. I don't know anything. Are you sure? No, nothing. Man, he just lied to me. I'm like, you're, you know. And long story short, I find all this about. He gets caught red-handed. He's stealing quarters from me. He's lying from me. He's caught red-handed. I'm asking Jack, did you not think I would catch you? I mean, they're right there. They're going this way, not this way. Kids don't think. But we, at all, don't either. Cain didn't right here. He buries Abel in the field and he arrogantly thinks nobody's going to see. But he couldn't hide that fact from God, for the voice of his brother's blood cried out to God from the ground, we're told. Amazing. Amazing. So just as God did with Adam and Eve, the Lord came to Cain with a question in verse 9. Cain, where is Abel, your brother? But instead of telling the truth, Cain lied. And he denied any responsibility in verse 9. He says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, that word keeper, it reveals Cain's burning animosity toward his brother. It indicates a condescending care for one who can't take care of himself the insinuation is when he says that to god god can't you keep track of your own creation am i the one to take care of him Cain still doesn't get it but god does when he asks him what have you done Now, it's not a request for information. It's a question for self-examination, just as it is for us today, which brings us to another checkpoint of God's grace. Look at it. What we often see as questions of accusation is another opportunity to repent and come right with God. Now, folks, listen to me. Here, I'm telling you what. We, there is so much in here, and I wish we had more time, but we don't. Because here's what happens First, God comes to us with questions. And as we said last Sunday, we don't like God asking us questions because God's questions are personal, they're pointed, and they're confrontational. They get in my life, in my circle. They confront me, they challenge me. God, you're in my space. Too close. And so we put arms up to God's questions, and we see them as accusations. And then God, oftentimes as he will, he will ask us questions, but he will also use his people to ask us questions. When we're not in the right path, we're deviant from the right path, listen, a loving friend will come to you, and he will say, listen, can I just point something out and ask you something? And if our heart isn't right, we will see that as an accusation that you don't love me, you don't care about me, you're just trying to bring me down or whatever. No, no, no. Man, what we often see is questions of accusations. They're opportunities from God. They're questions of grace to repent and to be honest and to come right with God. When Adam and Eve sinned against God and heard God coming in the garden, what did they do? They were ashamed. They tried to hide from God. But how does Cain respond here? Certainly not with shame. He's arrogant. He's defiant in the presence of God and all the time with blood on his hands. Listen, if you are ashamed because of your sin, God bless you. But God pity the person who doesn't care, who's defiant in front of him and to him. Now, of course, we don't want to be locked into our shame. Listen, we want to be set free from our shame and guilt of sin. And when we confess our sin, God will forgive you and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we refuse to repent, when we refuse to speak the truth and be honest, when we arrogantly defy God, then we should pray for His mercy and grace because we are on the verge of falling to our destruction. Which brings us to the final step. When we follow the way of Cain, we suffer the ruin in our life. We suffer the ruin in our life. God is finally ready to speak in judgment against Cain. And amazingly, get this still, amazingly, even at this very point in the story, Cain can still repent. But he refuses to repent. And so God now pronounces judgment on his life. In verses 11 and 12, look what it says. God comes to him and says, So now now you are cursed from the earth. Interesting. What was he again, his occupation? Farmer. God took away his occupation. God took away the thing he desired most, and he coveted, and what he used to defy God in his worship. And God took it away from him. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And do you know what God gives Cain here? You know what he's giving Cain? He gives Cain exactly what Cain wanted. God sends him from his presence. Notice what happens in verse 16. Go down to verse 16, it says, Then Cain went out from, what? The presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, the land of Nod, what in the world is that? Where is that? Well, it's not some resort at Disneyland. The land of Nod. It's not what we do in church. The land of Nod. The word nod here literally means wandering. Listen, it is a chilling image of one who lives wandering in lostness, apart and away from the presence of God. And what does Cain say to his judgment? Well, he does what we all do. He complains about it. It's not fair, God. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What's with this man? He cries out in fear and self-pity, but there's still no remorse in his heart. Cain says to God, God, they will kill me out there. And God says, no, they won't. I'll put a mark on you and let you live. Wow, the mercy of God is astounding. Which brings us to the last checkpoint of God's grace in Cain's life. God's mark on Cain's life was a mark of God's grace in Cain's life. Now the question we're all wanting to ask about now is, well, what was this mark? Right? How many want to know what the mark is? Alright, get ready, I'm going to tell you. It was the first tattoo. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We don't, we don't know what the mark is. Nobody does. And, and, and it's not important what the mark is. What's important, that it was a sign of God's grace in Cain's life. Here's what we know. Cain was punished, and he was separated from the presence of God, and yet he was protected by the mercy of God. And what's amazing at this protection, this mark on Cain's life, this grace mark, Listen to me, it still gave Cain the opportunity to repent and come back to God. Amazing grace, how sweet it is. So what about you? What do we learn from the story of Cain? What lessons should we take away from this? Well, there are two lessons that I want us to grab hold of and take home with us. Because they can alter the course of your life if you will apply them. And the first lesson is this. Realize what a religious person is capable of. Realize what a religious person is capable of. And what are we capable of? Notice it. We are all capable of drifting away from God toward our destruction. Remember, Cain was a religious man. He was a worshiper of God when he brought his offering to God. He was like us here this morning. so don 't be fooled don 't be deceived. We are capable of anything and when we, and we have to recognize the battleground starts in the heart jeremiah seventeen nine reminds us the heart is what. Deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? As we said at the beginning, there's a little bit of Cain in all of us, and there's a whole lot of Cain in most of us, so we're all capable of drifting away from God toward destruction. It's the first lesson we ought to take away and grab hold of. The second lesson is this: Realize what a gracious God. Realize what a gracious God offers. Realize what a gracious God offers. And what does God offer us? Notice it. God graciously seeks us out. Are you thankful for that? You bet. Now, when I'm in my sin, I'm not so thankful for that at the moment. I kind of don't like it. But afterwards, when we repent and get right, oh, God, you're so gracious. So God, first of all, he graciously seeks us out, and he offers us help to turn back to him through our confession of sin and His forgiveness of sin. Oh, what a gracious God we have. Now, let me close with this verse. It's not in your notes, so listen. Because I love what the New Testament says in Hebrews 12, verse 24, because it tells us that when we come to Jesus Christ, The promise, the one who was promised in the Old Testament, the seed of the woman that would conquer sin and conquer its consequences. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith, listen to it. It says here in verse 24, verse in chapter 12, when we come to Christ, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now... Don't don't lose me, or don't, don't go away, because you know what this means. It means that Abel's blood cried out to God for what? Vengeance. But Jesus, shed blood on the cross, shouts forgiveness to all who come to him. Listen, that means there's hope for the worst sinners here this morning. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter that you're even a murderer. You've served time. It doesn't matter. None of it does. No one is beyond God's grace because Jesus' blood will wash away all your sins. So God comes to each of us and He asks, what have you done? And the only question that really matters now is, then what will you do? Folks, listen to me. God is gracious. And he is asking, what have we done? And there are some here who think they can still just continue their way and be fine. And how foolish we are. When God is coming to us graciously with his warnings and his invitations to be honest with ourselves and before him and to receive his forgiveness for our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. His shed blood speaks better than Abel's blood. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the story that we have here preserved for us in Genesis chapter 4. And the example that Cain gives to us. No, it's not an example we want to follow, Lord, but it's an example of your grace as well. It's an example that all along the way in our life, you are constantly giving us opportunities to be honest and to come to you and get right with you. And to deal with our sin through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray that we will do that right now. Zach's going to sing, He's going to sing a verse, and this is our response time. It's time for us to respond right where we're sitting and do business with God. So what will you do now in light of what you've heard?